morning, Oakwood Community Church. This is Jeff Totten from SCORE Ministries. Thanks so much for highlighting our ministry today and for allowing me to share some updates. Uh, Carl and I appreciate so much the partnership in ministry with Oakwood Community Church, uh, Pastor Don, the missions team, uh, Doug, for inviting me to share uh, by video this morning. Uh, we're grateful for your prayers, uh, your uh, encouragement, uh, your financial support, and think of you all often and, of course, very fondly with wonderful memories of ministry together. Uh, this spring, we were down in uh, Lakeland, Florida for spring training. A big part of what we do is baseball chapel to the Detroit Tigers. And spring training is a great time to build relationships uh, with new players, new front office personnel um, during a more relaxed environment in Lakeland. So I appreciate your prayers while we were down there. Much of the time is in Bible studies, chapels every Sunday at the uh, complex for major league and minor league players, and then a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship times as well. Uh, when we uh, got back from uh, Florida, the season of course started here. One of the young players on the team, a single guy, is actually living in our basement. We've done this in the past with coaches and players. And uh, for this uh, player in particular, it'll allow us to uh, spend a lot of time together. Uh, we started just a couple days ago a morning discipleship, a Bible study uh, navigator's book that he and I will do and help him as he's younger in his faith, uh, grow in his walk with Christ. So thanks for your prayers uh, for that. Um, this uh, season has started. We do four chapels at the ballpark every Sunday morning. Uh, we were down there Easter Sunday morning to begin this year uh, doing a chapel for stadium workers. Uh, one for the visiting team, whoever's in town, one for the Tigers, and then one with the uh, umpires as well. Uh, we'll continue that throughout the year. We'll do uh, Bible studies away from the ballpark and uh, also try to build relationships with those who don't know Christ uh, in order to have a chance to share the gospel with them. One of the big events we do, many of you know about it, is Home Plate, an annual outreach event at Comerica Park where players will come out and share about their faith before a game, and then we stay for the game. So this year it's on Saturday, June the 10th. Um, the Diamondbacks will be in town. The game is at 1 o'clock. Our program begins at 9.30. Some of the guys sharing this year are uh, on the Tigers side, Matt Boyd, uh, Kerry Carpenter, Will Vest, uh, Michael Lorenzen, uh, and then uh, a former Tiger is a coach with the Diamondbacks. Uh, Damian Easley. So we hope to have Damian share. And one of the umpires who will be in town for that game is John Lipka. John is one of the strongest Christian umpires. He's actually a Michigan native, lives up toward Port Huron. So John and I have become close over the years. And uh, John will be there, Lord willing, to share about his faith in Christ as a major league uh, umpire. So if you can, I hope you make plans uh, to join us June the 10th uh, for Home Plate. The website is real easy to look up all the information, see a schedule for the day, homeplatedetroit.org, homeplatedetroit.org. If you'd like to learn some about a couple of the players, uh, you might want to write these two things down. Uh, one of our young players, Kerry Carpenter, began last season at AA in Erie. 
And so uh, the newspaper there did an article about Carrie. And if you Google these words, you'll find that article uh, written by a secular newspaper in which Carrie shares about his uh, journey to come to know Christ and uh, his life as a Christian. So if you Google Carrie Carpenter, Eerie Times, Carrie Carpenter, Eerie Times, uh, you should find that article and be able to uh, read it. And then the second one is a video of one of our new Tiger players, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, Michael is a pitcher, and uh, his first year with us is uh, this year. And so if you Google um, Renewed Testimony, Michael Lorenzen, Renewed Testimony, Michael Lorenzen, there's about an 11-minute video clip interview uh, with Michael sharing about how he came uh, to faith in Christ as a 16-year-old from a real uh, unstable background. And I think you'll be encouraged by that. And Michael also plans to share uh, at Home Plate with us this year. Uh, a big answer to prayer for us it has been a finding chapel leaders for the minor league affiliate teams of the Tigers. Every uh, major league chapel leader uh, is responsible to find uh, minor league chapel leaders to serve at the lower levels, AAA, AA, single A, and so forth. And so for Detroit, those cities are Toledo, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and two teams in Lakeland, Florida. And I visit those uh, teams every uh, year during the season. And, uh, and we desire to have two chapel leaders at every city, one who does a chapel in English, one who does it in Spanish. So we had a lot of openings because of the COVID restrictions and vaccine requirements to get in over the last couple of years. Uh, those have been lifted. So we have five brand new guys that God has brought to serve as chapel leaders, uh, three new ones in Lakeland because there's two teams down there, uh, and then uh, two new guys over in Grand Rapids. So we have two openings left for Spanish chapel leaders, uh, one in Toledo, and one in Erie. Uh, so it's an answer to prayer that those have been filled as they have. And then we're praying just for these final two spots to be filled as well. So I appreciate your prayers uh, for that. Thanks so much again for all you do uh, in partnership with us. Uh, we love you uh, and appreciate your ministry so much. Praying that God continues to bless uh, just in wonderful ways uh, there at Oakwood uh, Community Church. Uh, God bless you. Uh, we love you. Have a great day. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have an opportunity to bring our different missionaries in front of you to get to know uh, what they're doing. And uh, you know, certainly the connection that we have with Jeff Totten is a, is a great opportunity to continue that. Um, glad that he brought up some things to praise in, in their uh, ministry. And he also has a couple prayer requests. And rather than just... Uh, uh, bringing that before you, I'd, I'd ask you to join me, and we'll actually pray pray through some of these. Uh, dear Lord, I uh, I just pray that preparations for the home plate event uh, in June will be an opportunity to bring people to you, closer to you, that uh, that your word would be alive and and work uh, wonders with the people that attend there, um, meeting and coaching players to effectively share their stories uh, of the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, and also for launching chapels and Bible studies, uh, for 
stadium workers, Tiger players, coaches, visiting teams, and, and umpires throughout the season. Um, and also uh, that Carla, Jeff's wife, uh, along with Kathy uh, Tanana, beginning a Bible study and a dinner uh, once the, um, you know, for, for wives and girlfriends of, of players. So, um, and also Jeff's family, uh, Carla, kids, Matt, uh, Kim, and uh, her husband, Max, and also daughter, daughter Brittany. Lord, I just ask you that uh, you just can continue to strengthen Jeff and his ministry and his efforts and uh, help us be a good partner with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Well, I'll just reiterate really quick uh, what Jeff just said. Home Plate is back this year on Saturday, June 10th at Comerica Park. A game is at 110. Uh, the Home Plate uh, ceremony itself starts at 930. Now, the bus, if uh, people choose to purchase tickets and want to ride the church bus down, the bus is going to be leaving at 730 that morning. So if you want to purchase tickets and register for that, uh, the first 30 uh, are eligible for that. Um, one thing that's really cool this year that's returning is the on-field baseball clinic in between the ceremony and the game. And that's going to be from 11 to 12:15, where everybody attending home play can go down on the field. Uh, players and coaches are going to be hosting uh, different clinics down there. So that's a really uh, neat opportunity as well. Uh, tickets are $35, and they'll include a pavilion lower deck seat, the pregame program at 9.30, the baseball clinic, and then the 110 game between the Tigers and Diamondbacks. As I mentioned, transportation is included for the first 30 tickets purchased. You can also drive yourself down to the game if you wish to not ride the bus. And you can register several ways. You can register and purchase your tickets several ways. Uh, I'll be out at the Oak today uh, after first and second service. Uh, you can pick up a flyer. There's a QR code on the flyer where you can purchase and register for your tickets. And then you can also call the office during the week, and they'd be happy to help you as well. So if you have any questions, I'll be out there today. Thanks, guys. Good. Thank you. Thank you, guys. If they register online they need and they want to ride the bus, they've got to let the office know, though, right, or, or sign up. Somehow we got to make sure that happens. So, yeah, we got to make sure that we know those first 30 people. I don't want to have 60 first 30 people. So <laughs> we want to make sure that happens. Hope you can come. Hope you can join us for that. I actually was one of those minor league chaplains. I got to do that for baseball. And that was a fun time in my life. Uh, minor league back then was in Battle Creek. And I uh, had a team there and, and enjoyed that ministry with the guys. It, it is a great ministry. The, the ministry Jeff has with so many people, players and and umpires, he really is doing a lot. And uh, these guys are at a pivotal point in their life. Uh, this is where they're really, they're making decisions for the future. All right. Who closed the tomb? I'm, you know, from week to week, I'm like, what? Who's going around the church fixing things? I saw the tomb was closed. I'm like, we're singing because he lives and the tomb was closed. So I had to open the tomb. Let me, let me just say, my preferred method would be the tomb stays open, okay? We don't put Jesus back in there and lock him up, okay? So let's keep the tomb open. Uh, last last uh, Wednesday, I had people set up for an event I had on Thursday night. Tables and chairs in the lobby. It was all perfect. Thursday morning, we came in. 
again, they'd cleaned it up for us. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so make sure before anybody does anything, you check in with the office. That would be a big help with us before things get changed. All right, open up your Bibles too. We are in Matthew 28 today. I'll meet you in Matthew 28 around verse 19, but let's pray ourselves in this morning. Would you pray this prayer? Just join me in prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. But if you'd say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I am willing to listen. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified. Everyone hearing this would be edified and that Satan would be horrified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in the last week of Easter, the implications of Easter. Uh, we had originally started talking about 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, where uh, Paul lets us know that above all things, most important is the gospel, that Christ died for sins, was buried, and rose again. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, today we're in Matthew 28, and the last of our series uh, through all of Easter ended up being five messages because we included Good Friday there. And let me just walk you through where we started. The snake and sin. We talked about the the original sin in the garden in Genesis 3. Uh, The approach was surprising and subtle. The strategy involved conversation, controversy. Conversation led to doubt and desire. The result was collaboration and catastrophe. So that's where we, we, when we're talking about implications of Easter, what is the so that that Jesus died? The so that is that he conquered sin and death once and for all. We move from there to the snake and the savior. And this is where we talked about on Good Friday. God sent his son Jesus to be our savior. Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. Jesus was never injected with that venom of sin. So he was divine and human, but he didn't have a sin nature because he wasn't born from man. He was born from God. And so he never had that venom of sin. However, he died on the cross, a sinless man in our place. For with our sinfulness and the death of Jesus was our propitiation, which means a sacrifice that appeases God's just judgment for our sinfulness. That's what Good Friday was about. We remember the cross and the sacrifice. Then on Easter morning, we talked about the Savior and salvation. The resurrection proved that Jesus was divine. The resurrection proved Christ's power to forgive sin. The resurrection revealed Christ's power over death. The resurrection defeated God's enemy. And then last week, we talked about my salvation and my sin. Since Jesus died for sin and conquered sin and death once and for all, how come I still sin? What's my sin problem? Well, we learned that killing sin is the result and evidence of my salvation. And killing sin is the effect, not the cause of my salvation. No one tries to stop sinning in order to come to God. You can't do anything on your own. It is a result of actually being saved that we begin the process of killing sin in our own life. Remember the quote, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. That's about sin in our lives, which finally brings us to today. Today's big idea is I must proclaim the gospel with the goal of making Christ-like disciples who multiply Christ-like disciples. Implications of Easter, we know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that because of him, we can have life. But the point of the last message is we must share it. We've got to proclaim it. The implications of an empty tomb and and an empty cross is that we have good news, amen? 
It's good news that we have to share with the world. So let's take a look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I'll read it. You follow along. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know this is what? The Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. Jesus commissioned his followers to do something. Let's see how smart you are. This is bonus point stuff today, right, class? What is the command that Jesus gave us in this passage? I knew you would say that. Fail. Go back to class. We got to learn this. The command is not go. I know that's been used forever. Every missions conference from 1960 through 1990, that was the message. Go. We got to go. Going is no duh. Jesus is in an upper room. When he says go, that's not the command. They weren't going to spend the rest of their lives in that room, people. They eventually had to go. You got to leave the room you're in, right? The command is make disciples. Look at it again. Go back to English class. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, it's not wrong for missions. People in missions love the word go because they are sent ones, but it gives a wrong analogy for the rest of us. So if you're not a sent one to Turkey or Africa or Indonesia, then we just sit on our butts. We just stay in the four walls of the church. No. Jesus' command is, y'all can't stay here. While you're going, because you're going to go home, anybody got plans for lunch today? Hey, okay, no. Come on, class. Raise your hand if you're going to eat today. Okay, thank you. How many of you are going to eat here in the worship center? Anybody, anybody? Nobody? So you're all telling me you had planned on going, right? Somebody give me an amen. Amen. Y'all planning on leaving today. Since you're leaving the four walls, Jesus' command is make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Jesus' plan is multiplication. Everybody say multiplication. Not addition. Addition is different than multiplication. Okay, class, we're going low here. We're going first grade. Okay, Uh, Jeff, two plus one equals? I'll go with three. Good job, good job. All right, uh, but two times one is, two. we went backwards, didn't we? That's the thing about multiplication. You got to understand there's addition or multiplication. So Jeff, since you're a teacher, even though it's not your field, I'm sorry, I'm expanding your, your uh, Tracy? Where's Tracy at? Tracy, she, she stepped out because she knew I was going to ask questions. All right, Jeff, you're back on, Jeff. Let's go two plus two, Jeff. Two plus two is four. Now two times two. Okay, how about that? Pretty simple, right? Addition and, and multiplication seem really similar, but Jeff, if we go two plus three equals and two times three equals, <gasps> we're getting somewhere, aren't we? You get my point? Now, if we were to take this and let's multiply this, what's 20 plus 10? 30. 30. What's 20 times 10? 200. Do you, do you see the difference between addition and 
and multiplication. Jesus didn't say, go out and, and do some addition. Don't just add some disciples here and there. He said, go and make disciples. Because disciples make disciples. And then those type, they make disciples. And it's multiplication. You might start asking yourself, how in the world could a guy who lived 2,000 years ago make such an impact on the world? Because the strategy was multiplication. Disciple multiplication. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Not churches who add decisions and add decisions. We weren't called to make decisions. We were called to make disciples. Everybody say disciples. This whole thing today is about making disciples who multiply disciples who multiply disciples. That's God's strategy and my sending. And there was a, an epiphany moment. When was it? When was it? Mark and, and, uh, and Margaret, you were in the office and I came up with this. I was so excited. You heard me shout. Was it this week, like Tuesday or Wednesday? I was so excited. I had to come up with the last two S's. God's strategy, my sending. And it's found right here. My mission as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, my mission is to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to lost people. Anybody say amen to that? Do we know that's true? The Westminster Catechism of Faith says the chief end of all, a man is to glorify God. How can we as Christians, believers, disciples, put whatever noun you want there, how can we bring glory to God? Number one is do what Jesus commanded. And by the way, the great commission Commission means sending. The great commission has become the great omission of the church. We've omitted what he told us was our number one job. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We glorify God by proclaiming the gospel. I glorify God by proclaiming his gospel with verbal clarity. How many of you have ever gone to a witnessing or evangelism workshop or training? Anybody? Yep. Good job. There are so many tools. Uh, we have people here, uh, Julie, right there, Gleason, she teaches evangelism. Uh, we lost our Shrek, wonderful Shrek used to teach evangelism. Um, I've done evangelism 101 here at Oakwood. You have opportunities here in-house, but there's opportunities online. You, as a believer, have an opportunity to clarify your own story. People love stories. And so you ought to be able to walk up to anybody at any time and share your story. What's your story? Who I was before Christ, how I came to know Christ, what difference has Christ made in my life? It's called the three handles. Everybody in this room has a story to share. Can you write out your three handles? Six paragraphs at the most, two paragraphs for each. My life before Christ, my life when I met Christ, and my life since knowing Christ. That's your story to tell. I glorify God by proclaiming his gospel with verbal clarity. And lastly, I glorify God by proclaiming his gospel to all people. Everybody say all. You know the definition of all. Say it with me. All means all. That's all. All means. Can we say it again? All means all. That's all. All means. All people. You mean the scary ones? Yeah. And you mean the ones that aren't like me? Yeah. You mean the ones that aren't even my cultural preference? Yeah. I got to do inner city missions for years. And one of the things I did was I got a tattoo. I have a tattoo on my arm of three rhinos and the word crash. 
you might say, why did you do that? I was 45 years old when I got 44 years old when I got my tattoo. Why would you do that? I found out something interesting. When you're in the inner city and talking to people on the streets or on the subway, one of the things that they will talk about is their tattoos. You'll see R.I.P., John, Jimmy, or whatever. You'll see some kind of a thing or mom or something. And if you ask somebody, hey, what is that about? They're going to tell you their story of their tattoo. They'll tell you that. My tattoo is specifically set up for that because I'd be sitting on a subway and I'd see a guy and I'd be like, hey, tell me about your art. That looks really like you took some time to plan that out. And they would start telling the story of their artwork on their arm. And I'm like, hey, can I show you the story about mine? And I'll, I'll roll mine up and I don't want to tell you my whole story about the three rhinos and the word crash, but it brings us back to God. It was a tool I used. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. You might be saying, I don't know if I agree with the tattoo. Jan Porter, I don't expect you're going to go get a tattoo. That's okay. That's all right. You're not in trouble if you don't. But don't judge people who do, right? We all, we all have different ways and different methods. And I'll tell you this, if you're doing nothing and I paid for a tattoo to witness, I'd do that a hundred times over yours any day. I don't know what your method is, but are we sharing the gospel? Acts 1 and verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's no accident in this verse that that Jesus starts with a very central home place, Jerusalem. Judea is the outskirts of the city. Samaria, they hated. Jesus didn't throw that in there by accident. It wasn't just a geographical marker. He was saying, you share the gospel where you live, and then you extend it out, and then you go to the people that you do not understand and you do not like, and you give the gospel, and then you take it to the ends of the earth. What was Jesus saying? All. Everybody say all. All. There's a story I read this week about a grocery store owner in England. He uh, got frustrated with his customers in his store. He was forced to take action because of the people's bad manners. First, he banned smoking. Now, that makes sense. This must have happened back in the 70s, right? Because we banned smoking a long time ago, right? I get the banned smoking, right? But, but he also, he banned uh, crude language. He, he banned baby strollers. Then he banned pets. And then finally, he banned the customers themselves. Shoppers have to come to the door knock on the window and he opens up a little slot and they tell him what he wants and he goes, gets it for them. And he said, I've lost a lot of customers. But he said, I'm a man of principles and I stand by my decision. I say the storekeeper lost sight of his mission. I think the church can be found guilty at times of losing sight of their mission to leave the walls of the church and go out to all people, even the ones we're uncomfortable with and ones that are not like us. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8 says this, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Can we say that at Oakwood? That we love you people, all people, not just in Ortonville, but Lapeer and Oxford 
and in Pontiac, in Flint, and Detroit. We love you so much that we share the gospel, but ourselves as well. Can we say that? Today I'm moved because we need to remember Jesus' example. And I want to share with you Jesus' example. It's found in John 13, 1 through 5. Turn there with me or, or get a, a thing ready for it. John 13, 1 through 5. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Just, okay, let me read that again. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Later on in verse 14 and 15, it says this, Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. We have an example about loving other people, even Judas. We, we can't forget that when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, G, Judas was there. Jesus didn't stop and say, oh, not you, because I know what you're up to. The verse indicates that Jesus was aware. Judas was a betrayer. He was going to set into motion the coming events. And Jesus washed Judas' feet. Now, I understand that this was the disciples. But foot washing, while it can be very appropriate, and some people do it in churches, I've actually had foot washing happen at a wedding, and I realized, actually, probably the most appropriate place would be at a wedding. <laughs> a husband and a wife washing each other's feet because it's a symbol of what's coming the rest of your life. You better be serving one another. You better be able to serve one another in a lowliest position as a couple. And I know it was his disciples, but the, the fact is it says, I have set you an example. Foot washing was just the example. That's not the thing. I'm not proposing we run around Flint washing people's feet. I mean, while that might be kind and all, but that, that probably isn't. Then It's an example. Foot washing is an example of I'm going to serve you even though you might hate me and betray me. Even though you're a sinner, I'm going to serve you. And I think Jesus would serve all people. I found this online, and it moved me. And I want to share it with you this week. I'll warn you that some of these things might offend you, but that's okay. Think about it. Maybe if you have to do some mental gymnastics this afternoon, it'd be healthy for you. It's called Salt and Gold, and it's an artist online. I don't believe in all their theology, but I loved the artist foot washing series. You can find it by looking up Salt and Gold foot washing series. I glorify God by sharing his gospel backed up by Christ-like love to all people. That's why I want to show you these images now. The first one is easy. The artist did a rendering of somebody from Ukraine, a mother and a child weeping 
over the country torn? Would Jesus wash the feet of a person? Would Jesus humble himself and serve a person that is suffering as a refugee? You absolutely bet he would. And then you got a mom, just a simple parent. Would Jesus wash the feet of a mom with children, you know, struggling to raise children? You better believe Jesus loves parents. Amen. Are you with me at this point? Yeah, let me know now because later on you're going to hate me. Would Jesus wash the foot of a child? You bet. We have no issue. We're like, yeah, this is cute. Some people are already saying, salt and gold. I want to get this picture and I'll frame this at my house. That's great. Yeah. Would Jesus wash the feet of a little child? You betcha. What about, what about the person who's struggling with anxiety? Would Jesus wash the foot of a person who's struggling mentally? Yeah, I, I know he would. And I, I know he'd come around the basin and put his arms around them. What about the person in straight out depression? Yeah, Jesus would care. He would serve and he'd love the person that's going through very hard times. What about that frontline worker who struggled through COVID and worked hours beyond belief and had the marks in their face from the mask wearing and all the things? Yeah, yeah, Jesus would serve that person and love that person. What about justice? Our country's struggling over the thought of police officers, and I don't want to get in political conversations with you today, but my point is simply this, is yeah, Jesus would serve the law officer and love them. What about that person from a different culture, maybe even a a different, uh, something that you, like skateboarding, you know, skateboarders? Man, they skateboard downtown and they break rules and sometimes they leave trash. But Jesus, yeah, yeah, Jesus would wash the feet of, a, uh, of what somebody might consider a young punk. Yeah, you better believe he would. What about that addict? Homeless person on the street. Would Jesus come and wash the feet of a homeless person? Yeah, he would serve them. He, he would love them. What about the prisoner? A few weeks ago, Wally Rose was here, and Wally talked about his ministry, serving in the jails. Would Jesus serve a person who is incarcerated? You, you bet he would. he would. He would humble himself, he would get down on his knee, he would wash the feet of somebody who was in prison. The alcoholic in addiction? I, I know he would. I know he would go to them. How do I know this? Because the Bible is full of stories of people who had a mess of a life. And Jesus went to them and he loved them. We know that people with leprosy, he didn't just care for them, he touched them, which leprosy was a very communicable disease. And Jesus, you know, went and touched even people with communicable diseases because he cared enough for them. Here's here's my point. Are you following me? It wasn't just the disciples. It wasn't just because they were his favorite people. He gave us an example of how we as believers move forward how we should love other people. He said, as I do, you should do too. This is one of my favorite images. Would Jesus wash the foot of the Pope? Yeah, he would. You're like, wait a second, we have disagreements. I don't know. There's there's a lot of things we have disagreements about in life. 
We don't, we don't have to come to exact agreement before we love one another and serve other people, do we? No. No, I think Jesus would wash the foot of the Pope. Matter of fact, Jesus actually said, unless you have me wash you. The fact is, the highest you can get in religion, you're, you're not saved unless Jesus cleanses you. All religion needs Jesus. Gay pride. Would Jesus wash the foot of a person who's in a different lifestyle? Yes, he would. Would we reach out in love? Presidents. Would Jesus wash the foot of an American president? Yeah, he would. But I don't agree. Our goal is to get rid of people in office and pastors who don't agree. Uh Uh-huh, I've read the book. Ex-presidents. Would Jesus wash the foot of former presidents? Yeah, he would. He would. My point is this morning, I love the foot washing series simply because it, it makes you think. And here's the key. My key this morning about sharing the gospel and this imagery is, It doesn't matter who's in the seat. It matters who's washing the feet. Can I say it one more time? And when I'm done, somebody give me an amen. It doesn't matter who's in the seat. It matters who's washing the feet. Amen. Amen. And that means we as disciples of Jesus, must do as Jesus did. So we must take the message to everyone. Everyone. God's strategy in my sending, my mission is to glorify God by making Christ-like disciples who love God and one another. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Matthew 27, 30 through 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, some of you are probably getting ready to shoot me an email that really challenged my theology about those pictures on the screen and how Jesus only did his disciples' feet and blah, blah, blah. But this verse here doesn't give you a caveat. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is your neighbor a believer? That's great. Is your neighbor a Muslim? Doesn't matter. Is your neighbor gay? It doesn't matter. Is your neighbor an addict? It doesn't matter. We love our neighbor. How do you love people? What's the most loving thing you could do? Give the gospel to all people. Tell people that there's forgiveness in Jesus. And then love them selflessly. Share the, share the word, but show them the life. And lavish love on all people at all times. This is called the great commandment. We've already talked about the great commission. Now we're talking about the great commandment. And the great commandment can be boiled up into two words twice. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's the center of the mark. That's the bullseye. If you want to know how do I hit God's target, what is the bullseye that God set for all believers? It's this verse. Love God, love people. It's the center of the mark. How do we do that? We share the gospel, the good news with all people and we love them.
Christ-like, Christ-like disciples love God above all else. So we, we, we want to make Christ-like disciples. What is a Christ-like disciple? Somebody who loves God above all else. And then Christ-like disciples build up one another in love. Building up people in love. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The scripture's full of how we ought to love inside the church. We love God, love people. We love God and then we build one another up. That's God's strategy in my sending. Thirdly and lastly, my mission is to glorify God by making Christ-like disciples who multiply Christ-like disciples. So we need to set our heart on making disciples. We share the gospel with the goal of that person becoming a Christ-like disciple. What is a Christ-like disciple? Somebody who loves God and loves people. That's our goal. That's our target. It's everybody else's target. Somebody who loves God and loves people with everything they've got. So our mission is to glorify God by making Christ-like disciples who multiply Christ-like disciples. Let's look at 2 Timothy 2.2, because I love this, to the fourth generation. See if you can see it. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What we see in this one verse is the multiplication strategy played out. Paul gave the word to Timothy... Timothy gave the word to reliable men, faithful men, and those faithful men shared it with other people. Do you see four generations here? This is multiplication. This is multiplication, simply and true. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful people who he taught, and faithful people to people they taught. The word begins to multiply. So Jeff, this is not one plus one plus one plus one, because that would be four. This is four times four times four, or as many of those faithful men there are, <laughs> right? We're, we're at least 16 people in this verse. Can, can we agree to that? I'm not a great at math. I know that. I went to a Christian school. But as far as I can tell, we're not just four people here. We are four generations of sharing with people. I see at least 16, but maybe hundreds, <laughs> because that's how Jesus left us. He didn't leave us to say, add people to the faith. No, multiply people to the faith. How do you do that? By multiplying disciples who multiply disciples who multiply disciples, multiplication. This is God's strategy. And this is my sending. The conclusion is simply this. I am to glorify God by proclaiming God's gospel and making Christ-like disciples who multiply Christ-like disciples. That's our, that's our calling that's our calling. And we need to be passionate about our calling. We need to make time. You have to make time or life will take time. Life will take time away from you if you just let life happen. So we must make time to share the gospel with people. Who, who, can, who can I share? What? Start with your neighbors, Jerusalem. Start with your coworkers, Judea. Start with opportunities to share in, in hard areas of people that aren't like you. Last Sunday night, I was disappointed. We uh, put out word that we wanted to talk to parents 
about a missions trip we're taking to Chicago, a place dear in my heart. I've done missions trips to Chicago over a dozen times. It's near and dear to my heart. I think I counted five families that were represented at the meeting. And I understand. I watch the news too. And, you know, everybody's seen what's happening in Chicago, right? We're not going downtown Chicago. We're going into Cicero. It's a whole other country for inner city people. <laughs> inner city people live their lives in a four-block radius. They really don't wander that far out. And we're, no, we're going nowhere near South Chicago. We're, no, going, we're not going anywhere near Lakeshore Drive. And I told the parents that were at that meeting, if you ask me, I, if you, I can guarantee your children's safety, I would say absolutely not because I can't guarantee their safety at their high school. But if you ask me, is it worth going to Cicero to share the gospel with people from a Latino culture? I'd say absolutely. Every time, I love it. Every time, I love sharing the gospel with little kids on the streets in Cicero. I love doing that. But Pastor Don, some of them might be illegals. I guarantee you many of them are. You would go and love an illegal Alien? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If they have breath and a heartbeat, they need Jesus. Can we, can we agree to that? Amen? And if I have the gospel and the good news and I can go and I can share it, I can share it with all men. I, I guess I could just wrap it up by just saying, I think I've taught you as clearly as I could today. Um, Christ-like disciples do as Jesus did. And Jesus came so that the world, no caveats there, no brackets and except for, you know, so that the world could be saved. I'm picking on Europe today. My closing illustration is about in Britain. There's a British bus company I read about received complaints because their drivers were speeding past lines of up to 30 people waiting for the bus. They're driving right past them. The company defended its drivers, stating, it's impossible for the drivers to keep their timetable if they have to keep stopping for passengers. (laughs) And I'm not making this up. The company also commented, get rid of the people and the system runs fine. Careful. Careful. I know you're outraged, but I am too. Get rid of the people and the church works really well. Get rid of the people and the church is easy. 